here in the Sunday night service because I'm over getting ready for recreation um, that happens at 6 o'clock after, or 6.30 after this is done. And, and people uh, for the past couple of months, for good reason, have been asking me just one question over anything else. It's, how's that little girl doing? Um, uh, we've, uh, me and my wife, Laura, have just had our first child. Her name's Maggie Grace. Uh, she's about four months old. And uh, she is, it's just been an awesome time in our life because she's a happy, healthy baby. And uh, she's just been a blessing to us right now. And so um, she's, her and my wife, Laura, are over there probably in Building E right now, helping me get set up for later on this evening. But um, just know that I know a lot of you guys have been praying for, for her. And uh, as we've been praying, that she'd be a healthy baby and also that she would develop a, a love for the Lord, uh, even at her uh, young age, that God would be calling her to himself. And so I thank you for that. Thank you. I covet your prayers for her especially. And so, um, but it's, it's just been a really awesome time in our lives. And and uh, we've been actually going through a series uh, with our student ministry at 4.30 hour. We call it our discipleship classes. And uh, today I wanted to take and dive in a little bit on basically the main theme of what we've been covering um, the last few months. And uh, it actually fits really well, especially considering that our pastor uh, yesterday, last Sunday morning wrapped up the book of Matthew. And in the end of the book of Matthew, uh, we see something called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28 for me. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse uh, 19 and 20. And most of you, if you've been in church for any length of time, you probably know these verses by memory. Uh, We call them the Great Commission. It's Jesus' command for us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And we're going to be kind of hitting that uh, pretty hard this evening. Um, So if you guys, if you have your Bibles, um, you can read along with me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. Um, It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, this is Christ's call for his disciples. Now, it's a beautiful thing that when we give our lives to Christ, when we ask him for salvation, when we make him the Lord of our life, he gives us a purpose we don't have to take and wonder what is God's will for me. We know because God has commanded us to go and make disciples. This is possible. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a preacher or a, a, a vocational missionary or um, somebody who's on church staff in order to do this. You can do this as a veterinarian, as a uh, server at a restaurant. To go and make disciples is universal. And it's across um, all people who claim the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And To be honest, when we look at churches today, just as a whole, we see there's a stigma in church culture almost. And there's a stigma that the work of Jesus and the work of God is kind of like this handed off to the professionals kind of mentality. I mean, after all, we have pastors, right? And they go to seminary and they know what they're talking about. And uh, same thing with like uh, uh, children's directors and stuff along those lines. There's this idea that those are the people, the super people that, that know all the things. So they are going to be the, per, the people that God's going to use in order to reach the nations. Or the, the super Christians, the people that have been Christians for, uh, you know, since they were uh, born in a pew, basically. I mean, the people that have just, God's called specific people 
and given them specific callings to go out and preach Jesus, and that's what his will is for us. But what we see in Scripture is actually quite the opposite, that God has called every one of his followers to go and to make disciples. Everyone. In fact, if you claim the name of Jesus today, he has commanded you personally, say you, sitting in your pew, to go and to make disciples. That means going out into your work, going out into uh, the ball field, in your gym, whatever it is, your recreation, however you meet people, the people that you know, your family, and to make disciples where you are. God has planted you where you are for a purpose, for a reason. And you know people in your circle of influence that no pastor may ever have the opportunity to reach. And not only, even if they did have the opportunity to reach them, you would be able to speak into their lives so much more than somebody that is super spiritual, quote unquote, that they hardly know. That's God's will for us is to make disciples. But the problem is as well, you see trust church culture, and I don't have the statistic here, but a Barna study recently said that somewhere between 85 to 90% of churchgoers, people who go to church, they claim churchgoers are people who attend at least two services a month in a local congregation. 85 to 90% of those people do not share their faith or have not shared their faith to anybody else outside of church. That's a scary statistic. But the truth is, though, that when you talk to people who are Christians, and whenever I talk to people, I think that there is a desire for most of us. I'm not going to ask you to to raise your hands and say uh, this is a desire for you, but I think most of us have a genuine desire to share Jesus, to share our faith with other people. But the problem is, how do we take and to point conversations, or how do we take and uh, share uh, Jesus with people without seeming like a a strange person. There's almost like this social stigma that's attached to it. And I think that a lot of us, we have difficulty sharing our faith, not because we don't love Jesus, but because we're worried about how the other person's going to uh, react or we're going to be afraid that we're not doing it properly. And today we're going to be doing, I mean, this evening, is we're going to look at some application. We're going to be looking at some, this is where the rubber meets the road, to evangelism. In fact, I want to be kind of explaining something called relational evangelism. Now, this is not something that's new to me. In fact, uh, you can say a lot of what I'm getting right here is from a book. It's called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. Uh, it's a aptly named title because I think that there, that's, I mean, something that a lot of us are worried about freaking out when it comes to sharing Jesus. But this is by Dr. Alvin Reed, and he helps us understand and gives us some practical approaches to evangelism and how to actually share our faith in a real context. And and so this is what we're gonna be looking at today. And I've got a couple, uh, about three points I wanna share with you specifically about uh, just some practical approaches of ways that we can share our faith with others. And the number one, one thing that we need to have if we want to take and to do the Great Commission, if we wanna fulfill the purpose that God has called in our life, we need to have number one, we have to have gospel fluency. We have to have gospel fluency. What does that mean? It means as followers of Jesus, if we claim that Jesus is Lord, we need to know the gospel inside and out, backwards and forwards, and be able to tell somebody when we're sleeping. And so I want to take in just for 30 seconds. You should have a blank spot in your insert right there. Uh, you can take in, you can write it there, or you can write it in the back, wherever you've got a little bit of scratch paper, you can write it down, or you can think about it. But for 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you, what is the gospel? If one of your friends came up to you and said, what is the gospel? What would you tell them? 
Think about that for about 30 seconds and write it down if you'd like. What is the gospel? You guys got it? Thumbs up, thumbs down, still, still writing? All right. Didn't know you'd have to do fill in the blanks today, huh? All right, I mean, not fill in the blanks, but free response writing. Uh, so what the gospel is, is the storyline of how God has been working in the lives of humans with the ultimate fulfillment being the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It's his plan for salvation for all people and how he's worked from the beginning all the way to how he's going to work in the end. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 kind of helps us understand it. It says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And the gospel really has four main parts, four things that every person needs to understand in order to see, to understand what their relationship with God is like and what he has done for us. The first thing is creation. This is the gospel boiled down to four parts. The first part is creation. That when God creates in the book of Genesis, God creates everything out of nothing, that he is all powerful, that he has all authority over the entire universe. He speaks the world is created, and when the world's created, is created good. Meaning that there's no sin in the world, that is, there's nothing broken in the world. That when God creates it, it's an extension of his very nature, and he creates humans to reign with him forever. It's a beautiful thing that humans are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that you and me uh, are different from the rest of creation because we are made in the image of God. But God creates everything, number one, uh, number one in creation. But the second part of the gospel is number two, the fall. That creation is fractured, is cursed because of sin. Ever since our, our long time ago grandparents and grand, uh, grandmother and grandfather uh, uh, sinned in the garden, that the world has been fractured. Things like death, disease, uh, natural disasters, even relationship uh, drama and, and work being toilsome, all these things that we would consider evil today were created there in the fall. The third thing is that even though God saw this, he made a way for us to be rescued from the penalty of sin. That third theme that we see in the gospel is rescue. That Jesus provides us an escape for the penalty of our sin. That even though we are sinners and we do deserve condemnation, Jesus has paid the price for us, for those of us who believe and accept his sacrifice. And the fourth theme that we see in the gospel is restoration. That God will one day, we don't know what that day is, but he is coming back and he will restore creation and live with his people forever that we will be with him, that he will be our God, and we will be his people. And that's going to be a beautiful day one day, but that is what the gospel is. That from creation being perfect, uh, brokenness entering from sin in the fall, Jesus providing our rescue, and that one day he will be with us for eternity. Now, when I ask you, what is the gospel? And either you had, or had kind of like a blank, like I'm not sure what it is, or maybe you 
that I did something that was kind of different from that. Now, I'm not saying that you had to have those exact words because, of course, we're paraphrasing here. But if you didn't understand at least have some kind of concept that the gospel is what Jesus has done for us because of our sin, he has saved us, that's a really, really dangerous thing because one thing that we see in Scripture is that for us to take and to be saved, we have to understand what Jesus has done for us. You cannot be saved and not know what the gospel is because the gospel is good news for salvation. And so I would just encourage you that we need to have the understanding of what the gospel is. If you don't have that, you're missing the necessary information to know Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing that if you know it, I mean, you have the information you can offer or you can ask for his forgiveness and make him the Lord of your life and be saved, know that you're saved. But if you don't know that, then you don't understand what it means to really be saved. But if you know these key themes of the gospel, if you understand how they all fit together, the creation, fall, rescue, and restoration, if you know them backwards and forwards and you understand that you can have ways that will, um, you can provide ways to build these themes into everyday conversations. D.L. Moody, a Bible Institute um, founder, he, he made a goal that for every day for his entire life after he was saved, that he would take and he could share the gospel with somebody just every single day, no matter what day it was. And there were times that he had to wake up in the middle of the night realizing that he had messed up and to go find somebody, but he did it because he knew the gospel inside and out and that he knew ways to point the conversation to, uh, to other people towards the gospel. And doing this, he had this amazing impact. And see, you know, it's amazing is that this, these four themes, creation, fall, rescue, and redemption, or excuse me, rescue and restoration, you know what that really sounds like? The theme to every movie ever. <laughs> There's always a, a good start where everything is okay. There is a fall where something dramatic happens. The bad guy captures the girl or they take and have some kind of issue that takes place. Uh, because of that, there's a rescue. The main um, person, uh, the hero, takes and rescues the damsel in distress. And then it ends with this giant, big, happily ever after as the credits roll in. And by seeing this, this storyline, we can begin to point people towards the gospel by using things like superhero movies. And not just superhero movies, but all kinds of things. By having gospel fluency, understanding the Bible, we can connect people with the Bible in ways that we would not uh, understand before. The second thing that we need, though, after we have gospel fluency, is we need to have this understanding when sharing the gospel and using relationships of a conversation versus a presentation. Conversation versus presentation. There are so many strategies um, that churches have used uh, in order to figure out ways to share the gospel. And there, there are tons of them. There, I can think of the, the Romans robe, uh, road, <laughs> Romans robe, the Romans road, the Evangel cube, um, the three circles, uh, maybe the, the five steps to Christ. And there's so many different things that uh, churches use as tools in order to help explain the gospel to other people. And they say that all you got to do is if you want to share the gospel, at least uh, when it comes to, for instance, the Evangel Cube, is you take out your Evangel Cube and you show them the pictures and you explain how the story is as you're going through the pictures. Now, these things are good. They're awesome to use as tools. But to be honest, and I think if we're being honest here, most people, instead of 
when, when given a presentation, when offered a sales pitch, a lot of people instantly tune out. I don't know about you, but whenever I take and I get a telemarketer on the phone, I don't sit around and listen to what they're selling. I kind of hang up immediately. Uh, whenever uh, somebody's trying to sell me something, I get that vibe that they're trying to convince me of something, that I need something I don't feel like I really need. I instantly tune out. And uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know if you've had this, I've had people that have contacted me recently uh, looking to sell a certain type of product and uh, have contacted me online through like Facebook Messenger and said, hey, how's the new baby? She's so cute and and uh, when can I have a time where I can sit down to talk to you for 15 minutes about something specific and that just seems so disingenuous to me as somebody's trying to sell uh, use my family and use a relationship with me in order to sell a product and I think we can do that sometimes as Christians taking in by trying to use presentations and saying here you sit down and you listen to what I'm going to tell you about who Jesus is and and what you need to do in response we can a lot of times come across with this bad salesman type of vibe and then having a presentation instead of a conversation. And the truth is there's relatively few people out there that have come to know Christ strictly off of a person that they did not know beforehand. Uh, just an evangelist, somebody they'd never heard of. Um, that they heard the gospel for the first time and in that second they gave their life to Christ and it had no backstory before that. That's not how I came to know Christ. Um, I came to know him from a very close personal friend who took me to church and uh, told me um, what it meant to follow after Christ. And, and yeah, I did take and give my life to Jesus during a summer camp when an evangelist was speaking, but it was after a whole lot of foundation. Somebody invested in my life and built um, and invested in me. And there's a truth, there's a quote um, that I think is so true, is people don't know or care about how much you know until they know how much you care. There's, there's a definite importance to building relationships with people, to being most effective for the gospel. In fact, I want to read something. Wilbin, William Wilberforce, he's a British politician, says that everywhere he went and with everyone he met, he tried as best he could to bring the conversation around to the question of eternity. Wilberforce prepared lists of his friends and to net their names, he made notes on how he might best encourage them in their faith, if they were believers, and to know Christ if they were not. He listed subjects to bring up with each individual that might launch a conversation about spiritual issues. He described these subjects and questions as launchers and was always looking for opportunities to introduce them. I think this is something, a tool that we can have as Christians in our back pocket as ways to introduce people to Christ is just having good questions to ask somebody to get them thinking about their faith and their eternity. People love talking about themselves. It's true. If you want to take and you have, want to have friends and you want to take and uh, get to know somebody and uh, be really uh, known as a personal person, just ask questions because people love to explain what their ideas and their thoughts are about specific things. And and whatever you take and you see uh, this in Scripture all the time, Jesus used questions to teach all the time. You see this in Matthew 5, 47, says um, he's speaking to his disciples. This is, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? He says in Matthew 16, 13, who do people say the Son of Man is? Kind of eliciting a response. And Matthew 16, 15 says, who do you say that I am? 
Jesus understood the importance of asking questions and getting conversations to engage with people. You see, when we take and use a presentation to try to force a product, people a lot of times will tune us out. But if you take and invest in somebody and have a conversation and taking to point them to Jesus, you will have a much greater impact than you would by taking and having a presentation. Some good questions that you can use whenever ask, talking to people about who Jesus is is number one, well, just asking them honestly, do you believe in God and why or why not? What's been your experience? And another one that you can ask is, uh, what's your church background? Uh, did you grow up in church? Have you ever experienced church? And you'd be surprised at how many people would just take and uh, just light up and talk to you about what their church experience is. And, and say, another question you can ask is, um, if you were to ask God one question, what would you ask him? If you were taken to ask somebody this question, again, you'll, you'll get a response because so many people either have good questions, they'll have questions that are off the wall, and you may just say, okay, wow, that's a, I never thought about that, but it's a way to get them invested in what you're talking about. And the fourth thing, um, this is one I've used uh, specifically um, many, many times, is asking people, just if you were to hypothetically die today, and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? What would be the reason you said you should let me in because of this? Now for the believers, we know that that's because of what Jesus has done for us. We've accepted his sacrifice. But for so many people, uh, they, it's, they never thought about that. And that's a way that you can engage somebody by having a conversation instead of a presentation and I've got to move along now, but the third thing that we need to do if, we, uh, do if we're wanting to take and engage people with the gospel is to share what Jesus has done for you. Share what Jesus has done for you. Your testimony, your story is the most powerful tool that you have when it comes to leading other people to Jesus. You see this in 1 Peter 3.15. This is a lot of times used for apologetics and a lot of um, study, and it's rightly applied to that, but I wanna point to something that says, but in your hearts, regard Christ as Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. A lot of times we look at that verse and we say, we need to give a defense for the reason. That does make sense. We should always be ready as Christians if someone were to ask us a hard question to say, well, we believe this for this reason, to point people to Jesus. But he also it ends this scripture, says, by the hope that is in you. If you know Jesus, that you have a hope that is personal. It's in you. There's a lot that we have personally to be very, very grateful for. In fact, Pastor Jeff kind of talked about that this morning about because of what God has done for us, we have so many things that nobody, no other person can boast. We have a, a purpose for our life. We have a hope for the future. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that no matter how bad things get on this earth, that he has this glorious inheritance waiting on us. And there's so many things that we have that we can be thankful for. And people can refute what we say to them, but they cannot refute the work that Jesus has done in your life. And so, Mike, I guess I have a th second question for you today that you sh we should all ask ourselves is, what has Jesus done for you personally? If someone were to ask you, what has Jesus done for you, what would you tell them? 
would you say, well, I mean, uh, he, he saved me? Well, what else has he done? Jesus is Lord. He's personal God. He, he saved me from the penalty of my sin, but he's also with me no matter what's happening in my lives. And he's taken, and uh, I'm comforted when I'm pray. I, I have this hope for my future, knowing that no matter how bad things can get, no matter if I were to lose everything I have, I can have comfort and peace knowing that he still has me in the palm of his hand. That's something that no person can take away from me. And whenever somebody is struggling with something, if I know God has done that stuff personally for me, then I'm not, if I'm trying to explain that to some, somebody, I'm not trying to sell them on something. I'm, I'm a satisfied customer saying, this is what Jesus has done for me. Even though you may have heard other things about him, but I can tell you that for me, he's given me a hope for my future. I don't have to stay, uh, stress, uh, be stressed and anxious and stay up at night wondering what's going to happen. He, he's got me covered. By just taking and sharing what Jesus has done for us is just this amazing tool that God's given us to point other people to Jesus. And sharing what Jesus has done for you really is, uh, depends on your understanding of Christology or your, how big your understanding of what Jesus has done is. If you are not thankful for what God has done for you, you will not witness. Those things go hand in hand. If you don't understand the gravity of what all God has done for you, why would you share it with somebody else? When we're thankful, when we're grateful, that overflows into telling other people about it. And so to, over, uh, to cap off everything that we've been talking about so far is that God calls us to be ministers and missionaries right where we are. That to take and to do this, we need to have conversations with people. To take and to have gospel fluency, understand what the gospel really is. To take and to focus on having conversations that point people to Jesus instead of presentations that may push people away. And to share what Jesus has done for us personally because he's done so much. And I want to end by just giving some quick tips, some things to remember whenever we're wanting to take and to share Jesus with people. Short of praying, these are some things that we can do. Number one is to remember that we don't save people, God saves people. That's something that's important for every Christian to remember. That we do not save people, God saves people. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know what that means? It means whenever we're sharing Jesus with somebody, the, the outcome, whether or not they give their, Christ, their life to Christ or not, it's not on you. It's not on how great your conversation was. It's not how great your witness was. That God draws people into himself. And so we do, not, we do not save anybody. We don't have to have the pressure of like, well, what if I say the wrong things? Or what if, what if I steer this person away? No, the Bible tells us that God will literally give us the words that we need to say in order to lead somebody to Christ if, we're being, uh, if we know the gospel and we are following after Jesus. There's no pressure to take and say, well, what if they don't come to know Christ? Because that's not up to us. It never has been, it never will be. But God works people towards himself. What he does call for us, though, is to be obedient. To take and to take that step and to share Jesus and to step back and to watch him work. 
A second thing that we need to know, the thing to remember when sharing uh, Jesus with people is that we don't need to search or don't need a one-and-done approach. In quotes right there, you don't need a one-and-done approach. If you share Jesus with somebody, again, if they are not uh, instantly uh, recognize that and fall in their place and worship and ask Jesus in their lives right then and there, it doesn't mean that all is lost. God calls us to be obedient because you may be planting a seed in that person's life that God may be watering and will come to fruition much later on. Again, most of the time when people are confronted with the gospel for the first time, they most likely are not saved instantly at that time. God uses other people to invest in their lives and to do an amazing work that may not happen for another 3, 10, 30 years from now. And you may not even know that person at that time. But what you're doing is you're setting a foundation for somebody to understand who Jesus is. So that at that, the time that God has established, that he can take and turn that person to him. God has a different timetable than we do. As much as we'd like things to happen on our watch when we want, when we are, uh, and make sure that God is uh, on our timetable, it doesn't work like that. So remember that we don't need to have a one-and-done approach. In fact, uh, I, um, somebody said in their business what they did was they, uh, every five conversations that they would, they would count off how many conversations that they would have with another person, on the fifth one they'd make sure that they mentioned Christ in there at some point. And that's a good stretch. That helped me in kind of understanding on we don't have to preach Jesus for every conversation every time we meet somebody. But remember that God is on a different timetable. And the third thing that we need to remember when it comes to sharing our faith and using our relationships is to, to live it out. To live out our faith. 1 Peter 3.1. It's one of the more controversial scriptures. But it's... It's a beautiful uh, just example of this. It says this in 1 Peter 3, uh, starting verse 1, it says, In the same way, wives, submit to yourself to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. You know this saying here? It's saying, wives, submit to your husbands so that if they are not following after Christ the way they should, they can see your example. And by you not even speaking a word, they will be won over to Christ. That's something that we need to understand as a church today, is that the more intimate our relationships are with unbelievers, the more important it is for us to display the gospel by showing love to them in crazy, outstanding ways. See, God expects us to honor him with our lips and to share Jesus from uh, what we say, to explain the gospel to people. But some of the biggest ways that he uses that, uh, God, God is more highly glorified when others see the love for Christ inside of us by the works that we do for other people. And so, in summary, the church exists. We are here for the people who are not here yet. Our, every, the role for every believer is to go out and make disciples. Whether you, again, work at a restaurant or you uh, work at a Fortune 500 company, no matter where it is that God has put you, his call for you, for, for me, is to make disciples where we are. 
The problem is that our churches a lot of times, though, have, are filled with people who'd rather be aquarium keepers than fishermen. And something I've learned about fishing is that, uh, fishing with my dad, is that fish don't naturally come uh, to you, that you have to go to them. That you have to take and to build relationships, not with fish, but you have to build relationships with people in order to take and to show them what the gospel is, not to present something as a sale pitch, but so that you can show the work that Jesus has done in your life. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, how then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's my prayer for this evening that we would take and be, if anything, challenged, but also encouraged to realize that this sharing the gospel thing isn't as difficult as we may make it out to be, that we shouldn't freak out when it comes to sharing our faith, but that God's placed us in specific areas for a reason. He wants to use you where you are. And it's not to present somebody the gospel, but to share it in how you live and to take and to share it because you are a satisfied customer. Share what Jesus has done for you. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. That God, I pray that us as a congregation, we would never grow tired of giving you thanks. That we recognize just how much it is that you've done for us and how much you saved us from. And God, you have placed us in this community, in this place for a reason. And you've called for each one of us as disciples to share your good news and to make disciples. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be obedient, that you would give us the courage to step forward, even not knowing what's going to happen, that you would help us realize that, that all the results are up to you, that we don't have to be scared if, if somebody does not accept Jesus right when we talk to them, but that, Lord, you would use our lives as an outpouring of your goodness and your glory so that when people meet us, they would not help see the dramatic difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Help us to do that. We lean on you in this, knowing that when we do, that you provide the work and you do an amazing work through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, please.